Okay, I'm excited to share this message with you. The name of it, the title is To Say No to Fear Forever. Because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. But so many of us kind of have that thing in us. God says, no, I didn't give it to you. So don't accept it. Don't receive it. Over the last month, I have had, um, I, don't, I didn't keep count, but I would say at least two or three ministry sessions with people. And this was the focus of the ministry. That wasn't the original focus. The original focus was an other need, a physical need or uh, an emotional need. But when we, when we went to God, because that's what I do when I have one-on-one ministry sessions, it's all, it's a, I call it a prayer ministry. And we go to God and we, we seek, you know, his direction. And in these three or four people, it was fear. It wasn't even the physical thing. The fear was the root And when we did what I'm teaching tonight, there was great breakthrough in each one of those cases. I mean, amazing, miraculous breakthrough. Now, when that happens in my life, when I see the same thing happening, like multiplied in a short time period, I hear that as God saying, this is a word for this for right now. This is a word for this season. And so that's why it's like, I said, okay, God, I want to share this. I want to share this teaching. So... Over the last couple weeks, we've been talking about grace and faith and entering into the rest of God, which is basically believing that the finished work of Jesus is more than enough, right? It's not our works, thank God. It's the finished work of Jesus and resting in that place of knowing that his finished work is more than enough. This teaching today is in direct, it's the enemy, and it's in direct opposition to our faith. The spirit of fear is the enemy's twist on faith. So we take something very good, which is confidence in God, confidence in his word, confidence in his promises, and the enemy twists it so that instead of having confidence in God and faith in God, we're having faith in the negative. So that's kind of the gist of what we're going to be talking about tonight. So at the top of your sheet, it says God-given fear versus a spirit of fear. So I want to differentiate because there is a good fear that God has given us as part of our makeup. The good fear that we have is the fear that protects us and keeps us safe. For example, um, a child learns at a very young age a, a healthy fear of not running into the street. They probably learn that from their mom and dad teaching it to them because that's dangerous. When they're in a parking lot, they learn that they have to stay with mom and dad. They have to hold their hand because they need to keep safe. And there's a healthy fear, and that's a good thing. Another example of that healthy fear would be if there's dangerous animal, snake or whatever. You're not going to go pick it up. Or a spider, you're going to call your husband to come kill it for you. (laughs) Because it could be dangerous. They look scary, I know that. So there's that healthy fear, a one that I have a very healthy fear of. And I don't call it a phobia. I don't have a spirit of fear. But I have a very healthy fear for heights, (laughs) especially cliffs and, you know, where there's this big thing going down. I'm not going anywhere near that edge. I have a very healthy fear, right, Kathy? She's been with me. She drove me up Pikes Peak. We were in Colorado. Okay, I have to tell the story. It's really funny. We were dry. We were on a chart, uh, Andrew Womack conference, and we had an extra day, so we were going to go up Pikes Peak. And um, 
I've got to make a long story short. Okay, so um, Kathy says, I think I can drive up, but I don't know if I can drive down. And I thought, well, I could probably drive down easier than driving up. So we agreed that she was going to drive up, I was going to drive down. So she's driving up, and uh, the, we were on the outside of the mountain almost all the way. So I was on the passenger side, like right on the edge. And a lot of it didn't have guardrails. And there was one point where there were two or three S-curves in a row, and it started sleeting or hailing. Was it sleet? It was, yeah, it was scary. And Cindy, when I'm scared, I pray in tongues loud. <laughs> and I'm praying in tongues and praying in tongues and praying in tongues. Yeah, and I was trying to get over on Kathy's side. Anyway, we got all the way to the top. She did a great job. And um, we, we stopped the little... Um, rest center and went in and you know just kind of I had a cup of coffee and I had one of those donuts you got to have at the top of Pikes Peak just you know my heart saying I can't drive down 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 so we get ready to leave and I said Kathy I hate to tell you this but either you drive or we walk because <laughs> I can't drive down and she said Okay, but you can't pray in tongues out loud. <laughs> and it was the way down was much easier than the way up because we were on the inside and I was on the inside. Anyway, we made it. But I have a very healthy, natural fear of heights. Okay, enough said about natural fear. It's good for us. God gave it to us for a purpose. Then there's this thing called the spirit of fear. When that fear, that natural fear that God gives us, gets out of balance, it goes beyond the natural, God calls it the spirit of fear. It's not that healthy fear. It's a way further step. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given us that thing. That spirit of fear can put us into bondage. It can put us into a place where we're crippled and kept from living what Jesus came to give us, which is a life and a life of abundance. And instead, we're in that place that the enemy's purpose is stealing, killing, and destroying because he's keeping us away from that abundant life. He's stealing that promise of God. He's stealing the abundance of life from us. Usually, it's because we don't know different. So that's why I thought it was so important to share this today. So the danger of living with a spirit of fear is that it can become a stronghold. Sometimes it's bouts of that spirit of fear, but sometimes it can multiply. I call it the snowball effect, where it gets, you don't realize what you're doing, so you keep buying it and buying it and buying it. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is a nugget that I heard a good teacher say, and I want to share it with you. He said, the enemy can't stop God. Mm -mm. The enemy's a defeated foe. But the enemy can stop the God in us if we unknowingly give him the dominion that he doesn't have unless we give it to him. So what I want to sh share first is this um, chart. Boy, I just flew through the first, I don't know, a lot of slides, I think. So this chart that's on your paper, what you're going to see is there is a very clear parallel between faith and fear. I call faith an antichrist spirit. Now, that doesn't mean it, he is the antichrist. That's not what I'm saying. Anti means against. So this is a spirit, a demonic twist, that is against 
Christ. It's against what God's best is for us. So I'm going to go through one line at a time. And the first line, and these are all truths, the first statement is that faith is God's creative power. And it results in Jesus' purpose fulfilled, which is an abundant life. I like to use the analogy of a bridge. The finished work is finished. Isn't that good news? And it's ours as children of God in this spiritual realm. It's our inheritance. Our part in this earth is to receive that through faith. And faith is the bridge that brings that, that promise, that finished work from the spiritual realm into our life through our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. You've heard teachings where the battlefield is the mind. And this fear thing we're talking about is part of the soul, the work of the soul, to either be in faith or to resist fear. Fear, on the other hand, remember these are very parallel, but they're parallel opposites. Fear is Satan's destructive power, and it results in Satan's purpose fulfilled, the stealing, the killing, and the destroying. So if we're in faith, we're agreeing with God. We, are, we, are, we have our face on Jesus, our focus on Jesus, and, and faith is fueled, and God's purpose is fulfilled. But when we're in fear, our soul is focused on the fear thing. And it's now instead of a bridge to the answer, you have a bridge to that thing that you're afraid of and can be literally put in that open bridge there for the thing to come into your life or to be multiplied in your life. The next line of the chart says, Jesus is the author and the developer of our faith. That's Hebrews 12 too. Jesus is the author. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one that authors it, that writes our faith's book, and it has a good ending. He's the finisher. He's the developer. He is the one that just puts it all together. And faith is Jesus-focused. In that same scripture, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So faith, this is big, it's Jesus-focused. It's not you-focused. It's not saying, okay, I have to do this and this and this and this and this in faith as a faith work, and then I'll receive the answer. Although those things are awesome, our, our vision, our focus needs to be on Jesus. And then those things fall in, those things just happen. We want to read his word. We want to f- praise and worship him. We want to be in environments like this where God is present and we feel his tangible presence. Fear, on the other hand, is authored by the enemy. Satan is the author and finisher of fear. And fear is inward focused. The enemy will, boy, oh boy, get you to look at what's going on in your body, in your life. That's the worldview. That's what happens. Our focus is on the problem. And it's inward focused instead of Jesus focused. The next line of this chart says, faith comes by hearing the word of God, which is truth. Romans ten seventeen says that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema, of God. We talked about that the last couple weeks. That word is rhema, the word 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God is rhema. It comes by the rhema. That's when God just speaks that revelation to your heart. It's when he, he, he just whispers his truth, his love, his promise right to your heart. But fear comes, fear comes when we hear the word of the enemy, which is deception. Now, it might be a fact. It might be a fact. But facts are under truth. Truth trumps facts. But many times, fear is not even a fact. It's something that you're worried about happening that isn't even a fact. It might be a symptom that you have, but you don't even know what it is. And you're thinking, well, that symptom must be this. And when you meditate on that, when you hear it in your own head, or when you talk about it, or when you research it and all that, you're feeding it. You're feeding that spirit of fear, and the enemy's really good at doing that. He's really good at getting you to buy that thing. The next line of the chart goes right along with this line, and it says, fear is developed as we meditate on the truth or on the word of God. And again, this is something we've been focusing on over the last couple of weeks, renewing our mind to the word of God, pondering, considering, talking about, speaking it out loud, the word. And as we do, it grows in, in deepness. It's like we're planting roots. We're planting, and then we're watering, and then we're fertilizing, and it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But the opposite, the polar opposite, is fear. It's developed when we meditate on that negative thing. And we've all done it. At least I have. It's where the world calls it worry. And it's where that thing is so big that it, you can't get it out of your head. You can't get it. It's just like, it's like this, this huge thing in your life or, or in your situation. And it's, it's almost impossible to look away from that thing and look to God because it's just so big in your life. And the more that you meditate on it, the more that you allow your thoughts to be on that thing, the bigger it gets because it's being developed. That fear is being developed. This is all the right side of that chart. It's all the enemy's tactics. The last line says, faith pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when we reverse that, with faith, we please God. But fear doesn't please him. In Hebrews 10.38, listen to this. It says, but my righteous one, the one justified by faith, that's anyone who has received Jesus as their savior. We're justified by our faith. We, Jesus did it, and we believe it. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrificial lamb. We believe it. We declare it, and now we're justified by faith. It's a judicial decision. We are called righteous. We are called justified. We are acquitted. So that's what the first part says. But then it says, okay, friends, okay, my righteous ones, okay, you've been justified. Now, God says, you shall live by faith. So it's not just getting saved. It's a lifestyle. He says, you shall live by faith, respecting man's relationship to God and trusting him. Relationship with God. 
face-to-face at the throne of his grace, relationship with God, trusting him. And if, and if he draws back, shrinking in fear, God says, my soul has no delight in him. I believe the reason that God has no delight in us when we shrink back in fear is because when we're not agreeing with him, his will is not able to manifest. We partner with God. We co-labor with God. God did his part. Our part is trusting him and believing him. And if we're in fear, we're not. So he can't get his will manifest in us, and it breaks his heart. If those of you who have children or who have nieces and nephews that you love like crazy, it breaks our heart if they don't receive what you have for them. Or if, or if you have this amazing truth, and for whatever reason, they're just not open to it. It hurts. You want them to have everything that God has for them. And that's God. He says it, he doesn't delight in us because he, he wants us well. He wants us to have the fullness of his inheritance. And when we're in fear, there's, there's something hindering. It's us. We're, we're hindering that perfect will from manifestation. So the next thing that I want to share are two Greek words that are translated as fear. They're different. They're very different, but they're both translated as fear. And I'm going to read three scriptures. The first one, the first Greek word is the Greek word phobio. And I believe that's where our word phobia comes from. And this particular word is the word that means terror or seized with alarm. I mean, it's that kind of fear that you just, your gut feels like it's just, you know, uh, just... You know what I'm talking, that terrible fear. And it's, uh, um, oh, I'm not even going to go, I don't want to even imagine those kinds of things. But that terrorism kind of fear. So let's read a couple scriptures with that word in it. The first one is 1 John 4:18. There is no fear, no phobia, no terror, no being seized with alarm in love. But, notice there's a all caps but, because faith always triumphs over fear. So the first part of the scripture says there's no of that phobia in love, but this is what there is. This is the God part. But perfect love casts out phobia fear. And that perfect love isn't you being perfect in love. That's God's perfect love. He is love. And when you know his love... It literally takes fear from you and it throws it out of you. The word cast off is a very um, active word. It means that it's literally God's perfect love takes that fear and throws it out of you. That's what God's perfect love does. Because fear involves torment. There's that phobia fear. It involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So whenever you're, you're feeling that terror, that seized, being seized with alarm, you need to go in that specific area and ask for God to just pour his love in that area. It might be you're seized with alarm because of your marriage that is falling apart. So go to God and go to his word about marriage and his will and his good plan and purpose. If it's about 
sickness or pain, go to God's word about sickness or pain and let him love you right in that area, whatever it is. Now, I'm going to share a little mini story that I'm not going to give you details about, but I'm sharing this for a reason. I have had a couple symptoms going on in my body. And I taught this last night on Monday because I teach on Monday and Tuesday. Last night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had this stupid symptom in my body. And the devil was playing games, playing games. And it was so stupid. It was totally irrational, no reason to have that, that fear. But I woke up, and I, it was kind of running through my head. And I know better. I know better. And, I, and then I was awake, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I know better. And I was doing everything I could do to just... Of course, Kent was sleeping next to me, so I wasn't, being, I wasn't speaking out loud. But in my, in my heart, I was just meditating on Jesus, meditating on his love, meditating on his promises. But it wouldn't go away. So I thought, oh, devil, you're so stupid. I know what he was doing. I'm teaching about this. So I got up. I went out, put on my headphones, and I have a lot of music about God loving me. And I didn't put it on quiet. I didn't want to go back to sleep at that moment. I wanted to fight the devil. So I put that on, and I did maybe four or five songs about God's love for me. And he just saturated me with his love. Just saturated me. And it was so good. I didn't even want to go to sleep. It was just like just the most intimate, beautiful time with him. And after I listened to three or four songs, I didn't, I didn't do much praising. I just let God love me. And then I took off my headphones. I went back to bed and I slept like a baby. Amen. 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 So we can take action when the devil's trying to put fear in you. And that's what the scripture says. His perfect love casts out fear. The next scripture I want to read to you, Romans 8, verses verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15. So you, if you're a child of God, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. I'm going to reword that a little bit. You have not received a spirit that makes you slaves to fear. Yeah, that's the old us. That's the one who was under the dominion of darkness, who had the devil as a father. He's not our daddy anymore. So instead, here's the faith triumphs over fear part. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. That's the same thing Jesus called his father. You know, in the Old Testament, they never referred to God as Father. Not until the New Testament. Because Jesus, there's the Son and the Father, and and they had that Father-Son relationship, and now we do too. And we can call him Father. And Abba is the best English word. There's two really good English words that that um, that we could translate Abba as. One is Daddy. And one is Papa. He's our daddy. He's our Papa. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children, we are his 
heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. I like to leave that last line out. <laughs> but you know what? We can't leave that out. So I was just meditating on this yesterday and today. Jesus was crucified. He's the one that took the punishment by whipping. He's the one that paid the price, the penalty for everything. In Romans 6, it talks about us being crucified with him. And then it talks about us being resurrected with him. So I just put myself in this place of saying, Christ, you were crucified with me, and I, I, I was crucified as well. But I didn't, have to go through the, the, I didn't have to go through what you went through. I just get to reap the benefits. And that's good news. But in John 6, 16, I believe it is, 33, it says there are trials and tribulations. That thing last night that attacked me, that spirit of fear that attacked me, there are trials and tribulations. Jesus was in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted. He had to say, it, was, it is written. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We have to do that too. We have dominion because of what Jesus did. We have been crucified and resurrected to new life, but we still do have persecution. We still do have sometimes attacks of the enemy. We still do have things to overcome, but because of Christ, we have victory. Because of Christ, we are overcomers. I wish it was all, you know, heaven on earth. And it, you know, it is. I live heaven on earth, but someday when we're heaven in heaven, it's going to be even better, right? Heaven in heaven is going to be even better than heaven on earth. Okay, so what I want to do now is I want to look at the word adopted because this is amazing. That word adopted in the Greek, I practice this. Huiathesia. Huiathesia. And it literally made up of two words. One of the words is son, and the second word is to place. So that word adoption literally means to place as sons. When this, was, when this um, uh, was written, in the era that it was written, adoption was very common. So if there was a wealthy man who wasn't able to have children, they would take a slave, because slavery was common at that time, and they would take a slave and they would give him sonship. And that slave would have a whole new life with all of the benefits of the son of that wealthy man, and it was not subject to change. Now, what I've given you on your handout are three parallels to this adoption that this, that this scripture is talking about, huiathesia. Let me see on your paper. I just want to see where it's at. Um, it's at the very bottom of the first page. That's where I'm at. So I'm going to give you three facts about that adoption and then show you the parallel with us in our life. So here's the first fact. The first fact about those adoptions that took place in that era, it was called the Hellenistic era. During that time, um, the adoption from the slave to the free man brought about a total break with the old family. And that old family line, that old family thing, that slavery was gone. And that person was instituted, was brought in to a new family relation with all of its rights, all of its privileges, and all of its responsibilities. The adopted person, the slave, lost all rights in his own family, and he gained 
fully legitimate rights in his new family in a very binding legal way. So let's parallel that to us. As believers, when we were adopted, when we received our salvation, when we believed and received and we were adopted, we were removed from under the authority of our own father, our old father, who was the devil. Isn't that weird? I'm going to give you a scripture for that. John 8, 44. In John 8, 44, I don't think I have it up there, but in John 8, 44, um, John is talking to non-believers, and he says, you are of your father, the devil. We were under the dominion of the enemy, but as adopted sons, we have a new father. He's no longer our father. God is our father now. We've been separated from that old life, and we have a new life with a new father. Say, God's my father. Oh, yeah. Okay, the next fact, the adopted son became an heir to his father's estate. And no matter if that father, if that, that man who adopted the slave ever had more children or ever was able to have children, the adopted son was complete co-heirs with even the blood sons, and nothing could change that. So in our lives as believers... As sons and daughters of God, we are co-heirs of the inheritance of God. And we're co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs one with another, and we are co-heirs with Christ. That's what it says in Romans 8.15. It says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Isn't that awesome? Here's the third fact. In the old life of that slave, of the adoptee, the old life was completely erased. All debts, all obligations were canceled. And that adopted person was considered to be a new person. So many times, um, the reason people were slaves is because they were in debt in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And so in order to pay their debt, they couldn't pay it. They gave uh, at least part of their lives into slavery to pay off that debt. But if they were adopted by that wealthy man, all the debt was canceled, the old life was canceled, and they became a new man. So let's apply it to us. Here we are as the adopted children of God. All the debt has been paid. It's been canceled. And we have a new life. Isn't that good news? Okay, amen, amen. We are no longer slaves. We're free. We're no longer in bondage. We've been redeemed. Now that includes sin, yes, but it includes everything else that we might have been in bondage to. In bondage to stuff in our past. We're no longer in bondage. It doesn't matter if you had a terrible father-daughter or father-son relationship or have a terrible mother-daughter or mother-son relationship because you now have a new father. You've been redeemed. Isn't that good news? That's something that I think we all need to really stop and think about. Because sometimes we look back at our past, and it's almost an ex- uh, uh, I shouldn't use the word excuse, but it, we carry it into our present. When that's not who we are anymore. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Okay, the next word for fear that the Bible uses in the New, Co- in the new Testament is delia, D-E-L-I-A. And this word for fear is the word that is 
um, the definition is timidity or cowardice or shy, being shy. This is one that was spoken over me my whole life. My mom and dad and my siblings and a lot of people called me the shy sister. Um, my, my, my sister was the outgoing sister. And because I was called the shy one my whole life, I, I kind of bought it until God showed me the scripture. And he says, Cindy, that's not what I say. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, oh, Cindy, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity. Uh-uh. No. I gave you power and love and a sound mind. I didn't give you a spirit of timidity or shyness or fearfulness or cowardice. I have to keep saying that one. <laughs> That's one that I just keep feeding on and feeding on because it depends on my environment. This environment, I'm not shy at all. But you put me out there and I'm different. I shouldn't say that. I just have to work on that one, put it that way. <laughs> so, but God's given us everything we need to, to overcome the spirit of timidity. He's given us power. Luke ten nineteen says, look, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. That's a good one, isn't it? He also gave us love, and I already read the scripture, 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Oh, there's just, I can feel his presence over that one right there. He also gave us a sound mind. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He's given a soundness of mind. We have the mind of Christ. Amen. So in this life that we live, we have a choice. When events happen in our life, we have a choice how to process them. We can either process them through faith-based emotions of power, love, and sound mind, or we can process them through fear-based emotions, the spirit of fear. So the whole rest of this teaching, what we're going to do is we're going to look at doing it God's way, the faith way, instead of the world's way, which is the fear-based way. Amen. So the next thing that you see in your um, handout is a big, long chart. And we're not going to do this whole chart. I just gave this to you as an amazing tool. The word fear, F-E-A-R, you've probably heard this acronym, and it's a good one. False evidence appearing real. Because behind every fear, there is a lie. The spirit of fear is a deceiving spirit. And the, the thing that you've been focused on, the thing that you've been, that, that's been, the devil's trying to tell you, has a truth that trumps that lie. Even if it's a fact, the truth is way bigger than that fact. And many times, like I said, it isn't a fact. It's a fear because of something that you're thinking or the uh, symptom that you're having. It's not a fact, but you're letting it stir you up anyway. So the, the, the key to getting rid of that thing is to look at the truth, to receive the truth, to speak the truth, to use the sword of the spirit, the truth, to say it is written and then declare that truth just like Jesus did. So I've given you a whole bunch of Typical fears, and then 
biblical truths, scriptural truths that you can declare. You can make them very personal. Put your own name in those scriptures. Put your own situation in those scriptures. If you're fighting a specific symptom, if you're fighting a specific, specific problem, put it right in there and, and make it personal and declare these truths over the situation. Now, you have to keep doing it because in order for that thing to grow deep in your soul and take deep roots, it's, it's usually a process. It's not usually a one-time, bam, gone. <laughs> I wish it was. But it's often a process. So I'm just going to share a couple of these with you because, um, because of time. I'm going to go to the second page, and I want to share a scripture for you for the fear of sickness or pain. This is a very common scripture, but I'm reading it from the New Living because it's just so direct. It's Isaiah 53. It's God's promise that he did for us to defeat pain and disease. So this is Isaiah 53. It was our weaknesses, our sickness and disease that Jesus carried. It was our sorrows, our pain that weighed him down. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Isn't that good? He was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. So when that symptom is attacking your body, say, oh no, Jesus, you did this for me. You carried my disease. You carried my pain. You were beaten so I could be whole. You were whipped so I could be healed. I receive you. I receive your finished work. And just take time to just meditate on what Jesus did for you. Put yourself in that story. Put yourself at the foot of the cross or at the, the flogging post. Seeing what Jesus did for you and receive it as yours. Because he did it for us. The next one I also want to address. This is a big one in the world that we live in today. Fear of what we eat and what we drink. Toxins genetically modified stuff, allergies. Um, um, gluten is a big one right now. Gluten allergies and dairy allergies and stuff like that. And very often these are fear-based, they're results of fear issues. Spirit of fear issues often manifest themselves in allergies and stuff like that. So here is a scripture, and I've read this in several translations, but this is right from the Bible. This is 1 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. They'll tell you not to eat this or that food. Perfectly good food God created to be eaten heartily and with thanksgiving by believers who know better. Everything God created is good and to be received with thanks. Now, don't be, don't be um, uh, careless and eat things that you know will upset you. But on the other hand, take a word like this and start meditating on it. Pray over you for your food before you eat it. With a scripture like this, God, thank you. Can't I do this all the time? We'll have our food on our plate. And I love to cook meals that are just a lot of color because I know that's healthy. We love vegetables. We eat a ton of them. So I have this whole plate full of beautiful food. And I'll say, God, I'm amazed at how you created this food. It's so beautiful and so delicious. Thank you for this food. I thank you that it's blessed to our body. You know, and I thank you that our body receives it. Because you made it for us. Thank you. And I pray a blessing over that food and we eat it. 
We have zero allergies, none. We can eat anything. Now we eat stuff we shouldn't eat because it tastes delicious, like cheesecake. But, but the point is we can speak over our food. And I believe that this is one that a lot of people are in bondage to in the era that we live in. So God may be speaking to you about that right now. It might be something that you need to go to God about, ask him about, and then start going to his promises. And ask him for your own promises. There are other promises. He may not even give you one from scripture. He may just speak to your heart, and that's beautiful too. Write it down and then read it back. Speak it back to yourself. The next one I want to talk about is the one right under that, which says fear of being alone. But you could also, in the same category, you could put fear of God not feeling like God's not there for me or like God hasn't heard me. Now, we know that's not true, but sometimes we feel that way. So this is a great scripture. If you're feeling that way, listen to this. This is one of my favorite um, declarations. For he, God himself, has said, I, baby girl, I, son, will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Amen. That's from the Amplified Translation, and I love it. I love all those words because God is so emphatic. And the reason it's repeated over and over is because in the original language, the way that it was written, it is so emphatic. It is so emphatic that in order to get that across in English, it needs to be repeated three times. I will not, I will not, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Read that out loud about six times and see how you feel inside about your daddy. Yeah, that's a really good one. And I want to share one more from this chart. I want to share the last one. Fear of death. I love this truth. This is one of the amazing truths, one of the reasons that Jesus came as a man. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of death. And you can read that in a bunch of different translations. The bottom line is, we no longer need to have a fear of death because death is a defeated foe. There's another scripture that says, death, where is your sting? <laughs> you are a vanquished foe. <laughs> Go to other scriptures and just read, death has no power over us. So if that is something that you have been fighting an irrational fear of, a spirit of fear, we have no fear of death. There's no reason to fear death. Not only that, God has promised us a long life, right? There, I plan on living a full lifespan because that, that's his best for me. Amen. Amen. Okay. For a few minutes, I want you to just put your, your handouts aside because I'm going to go away from that for a minute. 
What I want to share now, I'm going to share a, a story, a true story, um, about my daughter. But before I do, I want to share some of the ways that fear can manifest itself in our lives, because my daughter was a picture of all of this, pretty much all of it. So it can manifest itself in a lot of uh, mental and emotional kind of ways, like depression, chronic depression. When you take that spirit of fear and let it just eat you up, and you don't know better. It's his lack of knowledge. So that's one thing. Another thing that, can often, that I often see is anxiety or panic attacks. So those kind of emotional things. But it can also have physical ramifications. We know that from the news. We know that from the medical stuff that's out there. But there are a lot of medical things that can happen, like digestive issues, allergies, autoimmune disorders, those are often, not always, but often kind of residual effects of the spirit of fear. There are other things in our bodies like our heart health, blood pressure, stuff like that. A lot of that can be um, uh, an effect of fear in your life and letting that fear just take over. So my daughter has, is, like I said, a picture of this. Um, this is a long story. and I want to I tell it to you because it's a very powerful example of this teaching that I'm giving you. When she was um, uh, right out of high school, going into college, she opted to become a vegetarian, and that was simply because she wanted to be a vegetarian. So she's been a vegetarian for 15 years, and, she, and that, that's, she thought it was a healthy style of life, so that's what she chose. And we've always supported her in everything she's done. After she graduated from college, she went to New York City because she's a musician. And um, she taught in an inner-city charter school in the Bronx. And that was hard for her because she wasn't even trained to be a teacher. She's a musician. So to be in with that kind of an environment, it was really hard for her. And she started having physical stuff going on. She, had, she realized she couldn't eat gluten. Um, and she had all kinds of digestive issues going on. And then she still didn't feel She felt better, but didn't, still didn't feel good. So then she gave up dairy. So now she's vegetarian and gluten-free and dairy-free. But she didn't know this spirit of fear thing. And my daughter, I love her, needless to say. I love her so much. But I can't feed her like I feed you because she won't receive it. She pushes me away. So I love her. God said, just love her to life, Cindy. Just love her to life. So I do. I love her. And I pray for her all the time. But she doesn't receive. She's in the world. So anyway, after that, she gave up all that stuff. And she still had all that fear. That fear didn't go away. She was just trying to fix it. She was trying to put Band-Aids on the issues. The next thing that happened was she started having a lot of depression and then anxiety and panic attacks to the point where she couldn't even get on a subway and she didn't have a car. So that was her only mode of transportation because she didn't have a lot of money. She couldn't take taxis. So she couldn't get on a subway. One time she was going to fly home for a holiday and she went to get on a plane, went to the airport and couldn't get on the plane. So she was fighting all of these things going on in her life. But that wasn't the end of it. The next thing that was, um, i got to look because there's such a long list. The next thing that, um, that happened was she still didn't feel well. She, uh, oh, with the anxiety and all that, she went and got on 
um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines, et cetera, et cetera, started seeing a counselor who really did help her deal with a lot of these fears in the natural way, in the, you know, the, the world's way. Um, but then she still had a lot of physical things going on, so she went and had more, she kept going to doctors, went to another doctor, they did a bunch of blood work, and her thyroid was a little off. The doctor didn't even want to do any medicine, but she asked for it. So she's on a thyroid supplement, and it had helped. It helped balance her out a little bit with her moods and her, um, her emotion kind of thing because the, the thyroid has to do with the endocrine system. So it did help. The next thing was actually these all kind of, they didn't come one at a time. But um, another thing was she was starting to have lots of allergies. So a lot of um, runny nose, stuffed up nose, um, watery eyes. She's a singer. That's what she does for a living. So it would drain down her throat. It would affect her voice. So she had all of these allergies. So she went to an allergist. She had the whole thing of allergies, the whole poke test. And she was allergic to everything except, help me, Kat, cockroaches and feathers. <laughs> she was alert. I laughed when she told me. I shouldn't have. But I said, at least you're not allergic to cockroaches and feathers. So anyway, so then she went through the whole allergy shot thing. She started feeling better. And then the last thing that she bought the lie of was she's still seeing psychiatrists and psychologists or vice versa, psychologist and psychiatrist for medicine. And um, she had this issue of not being able to move ahead in life because all this, there was always stuff, it was fear. There was always stuff, and she wasn't, she just felt like she couldn't take the next step, like she was frozen in fear or frozen in depression or frozen in something. So she went and they um, diagnosed her with ADD. Now, this is my daughter, who is a valedictorian of her high school class, very intelligent, went to the U of M. And I would never, I mean, I was a teacher for a lot of years, and I've seen a lot of children that have a lot of attention deficit or attention deficit with hyperactivity. That, that didn't fit Megan, but she was looking for a fix to the problem, so then she started taking Ritalin, and it helped. Okay, now last year, in April, she decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. And a lot of you guys know this. She decided she was going to hike from the beginning in Georgia to the end in Maine, which is 2,200 miles. This is my daughter who's afraid of everything. <laughs> this is my daughter who has all this stuff going on. This is my musician daughter, my singer daughter. She's not a jock. She's not an outdoors person. She's not in great physical shape. She's beautiful, but she's never worked her body like that. Um, and I, when she called me to tell me, I, again, supported her 100%. And I told her, I said, honey, I said, you know I love you. I love you with all my heart. But I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to worry. Because I won't worry. I know better. <laughs> And I said, but I will pray. So every now and then I just get that in there. I said, I will pray. And okay, mama, okay. So I went and I bought a big um, map of the Appalachian Trail and I put it on the wall in my study. And every day I would go in there and lay hands on the map wherever she was on the trail and speak over her. And God just put it so heavy on my heart in a good way that he was doing something big. And I didn't know what 
because I trust God. I'm that, that childlike one that says, God, I don't need to know how. I just know you're doing something big with my daughter. And I would just praise him and thank him for whatever it was he was doing, but I knew he was doing something big. And I would speak the word over her all the time. And I do all the time for all my kids. And I have a kind of a prayer format that I follow with scripture for my kids. So one day in the middle of the summer, she'd been on the trail for about a month. I was walking outside and praying. And the scripture I was praying over all of my children was 2 Timothy 1.7. And the way I pray it is something like this. I say, Father, I thank you that you haven't given my kids a spirit of fear. You haven't given my children <clears throat> timidity. You haven't given my children the spirit of depression or oppression or panic attacks or anxiety that, no, you didn't give any of that stuff to my kids. You gave my kids power and love and a sound mind. And I'm walking and praying and walking and praying. And God immediately dropped this in my heart. He said, you can stop praying that for Megan. I already, I already took care of that one. And I'm okay. And I started to think about it. Here's my daughter on the Appalachian Trail. Walking in the woods, she went by herself. She didn't hike the whole thing by herself because there are a lot of hikers. But she went on her own. She camped outdoors for five and a half months. She was out there with the snakes and the critters and the bears and all that stuff. She was out there in the dark <laughs> at night. Many times she didn't sleep in the tent She'd just sleep out there in the shelters, which are just wooden things. They don't even have four walls. They have three walls. And they have a floor, and then they have a second level, so two layers of hikers can put their sleeping bags in there and sleep. She did that for five and a half months. Not only did she do that, she did it with pain because she had two or three areas of her body that she had a lot of pain in because of what she was doing so strenuously. It wasn't dangerous pain. She made sure, because she always goes to the doctor, she made sure it wasn't dangerous, but she walked it in pain, 2,200 miles, and she went all the way to Mount Katahdin. She did the whole thing. So God showed me, yeah, she walked out her healing. She walked out her deliverance, is a better word, deliverance from the spirit of fear. She took that action, and she did it afraid. She did it really afraid, but she made the decision to do it. It was like she knew she had to do something in her life to get through this, whatever this block was, and she did it. But that's not all. The first month we went to visit, after I had that word, oh, got to tell you one more thing. The next day after God gave me that word, I'm talking to Maggie on the phone. God spoke to me prophetically to her, and this is what I said to her, and I know it was God. I said, honey, you've always been independent, but now you're strong and courageous. And that's what I've called her ever since that day. Every time I email her, every time I text her, every time I write her a card, I say to my strong and courageous daughter. Now, that independent part, God wants us dependent, right? But she's not dependent. She's very independent. And I was speaking to her. Megan, you've always been independent, but God spoke, and he says, but baby girl, now you're strong and courageous. So about a month or a month after that, or a few weeks after that, Kanta and I went out there to spend a week, and I hiked with her, and we spent every evening with her and, and just hung out with her for a week and got to see what she was doing. And I was on the trail with her one day walking, and she says, Mom, 
you want to hear something really weird? I said, what? She said, I have not had any allergies since I've been out here. (laughs) The girl that's allergic to everything except cockroaches and feathers had no allergies. She's outdoors in the damp, wet stuff, and she had absolutely no allergies. But that's not all. After that, over time, she realized she no longer had gluten allergies and she no longer had dairy allergies. When they're out there, they get so hungry because they're exercising so hard. They get hiker hunger is what it's called. And so whenever they had the opportunity, they would go to restaurants and eat because they always packed food and it was dried food that they used to put hot water in. That was their typical meal. They didn't eat breakfast. They didn't eat lunch. They did power bars and they, you know, no fresh fruits or veggies, just nuts and power bars and whatever. And then at night, this this dried thing with hot water. So whenever they could get to a restaurant, they went. And all of her hiking buddies would get pizza and burgers and fries and heavy, caloric, rich foods. And Megan would get salad (laughs) and fruit and vegetables. But she couldn't eat all that stuff that would really fill her up. And she was hungry. So one day she says, God, I have some of that pizza. So she just took a bite or two. And it didn't bother her. Another day or two later, they had it again, and she ate it like more, and it didn't bother her. And the next time, she ate two pieces of pizza (laughs) with all that cheese and all that bread, and it didn't bother her. To this day, she has no more gluten or dairy intolerance. She was healed. But I believe with all my heart that it was that spirit of fear that she was delivered from that resulted in those other physical healings. Isn't that awesome? God, you're amazing. Praise you, God. So now we're going to go back to your sheet and we're going to finish up. Here's an amazing bottom line truth. You have been redeemed. Jesus became the curse for us to remove the curse from us. Galatians 3.13 says... In the, in the Message Bible, it says, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That's what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse, and at the same time, he dissolved the curse. But the problem that's in the world, and that's even in a lot of us as Christians, is that we don't realize that fear was part of the curse. We don't realize that the dominion of the enemy is big time in the spirit of fear. And the dominion of the enemy has been defeated. We're no longer under his dominion. So when we just look at this precious truth, we need to take that into our heart. The only power the enemy has is the power we give him. So how do we say no? How do we say no to fear forever? Whenever it attacks, how do we say no every time it attacks? Well, here's an amazing nugget. How about, how about if we shift? And every time that spirit of fear comes and tries to attack us, instead of saying, Fear, get out. I'm fighting fear. I'm fighting fear. Instead of fighting fear, let it provoke you to faith. 
Instead of having that fear come and thinking you have to attack it and fight a war that's already been won, instead of doing that, what if you let it propel you, give you a momentum to God and run into his arms and let him wrap his arms around you? Won't the devil be mad when what he thinks was going to, like, cause you to be stolen from or killed or destroyed? Instead, it makes you run right to God. In the scripture, James 4, 7, that says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I used to think that was three parts. First, we submit to God, and then after we're submitted, we can resist the devil and he has to run. But I don't think that anymore. I think it's a one-parter. When we run to God, when we go into that secret place, and this is, this is just what I imagine. As soon as I go to God, I have this great big daddy who just completely wraps his arms around me. Completely, completely. Just wraps his arms right around me, and I'm safe. Devil can't get anywhere near me. He is resisted. He ain't anywhere near me. He's way off there. So when I submit to God, when I go to the throne of his grace, I am resisting the devil and he does flee. That's what happened last night. I went and I just let my father, I let my daddy take care of me. It's awesome. It's awesome. I was literally meditating on him, putting his arms around me. And when I got back into bed and I felt really good, I just... You know how you spoon? <laughs> you have some more information you need. I just spooned right up by my husband, and I said, honey, put your arms around me. Because I just, I, I knew my daddy's was around me, but I wanted to feel that, my husband. And I just, he just wrapped his arms right around me, and I just went right to sleep. Yeah? Isn't that good? Okay. So I'm going to give you now what I've done with those four or five people that I had those ministry sessions with, and I saw that thing break off of them. This is for all of us. Okay. So that thing called fear, I call it idolatry. Because anything that you give more power than God is idolatry. Yeah. So these are the steps that I, I walked through with these, these, these people. And I put the, the main headings in bold. The first one is repent, then renounce, then replace, and then cast off. So repent. That's the part where we run to God. That's the part where we run. Repent doesn't mean I fall on the floor crying and saying, God, I did it wrong. I messed up. I'm not in faith. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is running to your father and letting him wrap his arms around you. So that's step one. I want to read you a scripture from the message, and it's not up there. It's Hebrews 4.16. So let's walk right up to him and take what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. So when fear attacks you, go right to the throne and take his mercy and accept his help. So that's number one, repent. Number two, renounce. The word renounce means a formal declaration that you are abandoning that old thought process, that old mindset, that old belief. And you're believing God instead. You're agreeing with God instead. So it's like saying, okay, I am no longer believing that. I am renouncing it. And so you just speak it out loud. I renounce and then fill in the blank. 
We're going to do it in a minute, and we're just going to use the general term, I renounce the spirit of fear. But you can be very specific. I renounce the fear of whatever that thing is. And you may have multiple fears, so you can do it with each individual fear. Ask God what they are first. God, what is, what is this fear? What is this thing? Go to him, ask him, and then whatever comes into your mind, write it down, and then do this with it. So you're going to, first of all, repent, then renounce, then replace. We've already talked about this. Replace it with truth. Replace it with what God says. Say, it is written. So if you're having this fear of, I'm just going to give you an example or two. If the fear is the fear of pain, say, okay, I renounce you, spirit of pain. In fact, pain, I'm going to talk to you right now. Guess what? It is written Jesus carried my pain. So you have to get away from me. Or if you're, if you're, if you're having a fear of um, um, sickness. Sickness, I renounce you. I renounce you, spirit of sickness. I renounce you, spirit of infirmity, whatever it is. I renounce you, spirit of cancer. It is written, by his stripes I was healed. So replace it with truth. Renounce it and replace it. And then, when you've done all of that, the enemy has no ties. You have given him, you, you're, you're like saying, you, you, I, I know what you're doing. You're exposed. So you have no power over me. And then you step into that position of authority because we have authority. You step into that position of authority. And instead of agreeing with the devil, you're going to fall out of agreement with him and come into agreement with God. Instead of partnering with fear, you're going to partner with God. So we're going to cast off and we're going to put on. Okay? And that's what you see on your paper. I cast off. And then there's a bunch of stuff. We're going to do that together. And then the next part, I haven't received this, but I have received this. And we're going to put on what we have received. Okay? So what I want you to do now, that's all on your paper for you to take home. I want you to just close your eyes right now because we're going to go right to God. You're not worried right now about the, the how to do it. You're just going to let God do it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you've given us everything to overcome fear. Thank you, Jesus, that you stripped the enemy of his authority and his power over us, and you've made us sons and daughters. We are your adopted children with your inheritance. So right now, please just repeat after me and know that what we're doing is using our authority and our power that has been delegated to us by God. It's the same power, the same authority that Jesus carried when he walked on this earth. And it is certainly more than enough to enforce the eviction notice to the enemy. So repeat after me. Say, I cast off the spirit of fear. I cancel every agreement that I have made with the spirit of fear. I will no longer partner with you, spirit of fear. I command you, spirit of fear, 
to remove your foothold from me and leave me now in the name of Jesus and by the power of his blood. I claim back all ground and authority that the enemy has stolen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now we're going to do the replacing. Ready? The spirit that I have received is not a spirit of slavery to put me into bondage. I have received the spirit of adoption. I am a daughter or a son of the Father. When I was adopted into God's family, I was removed from the authority of my old father, who was the enemy. And now I am the daughter or the son of God. Oh, yeah. Therefore, I no longer live under a spirit of fear. I have been endued with power and love and soundness of mind. I am an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. As a child of God, I am an heir of Abba Father's estate. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Oh, Father, I thank you for what you are doing right now in our hearts. I thank you that we are free men. We are free women in Jesus' name.